I never had the thought to do that myself. It was more of a, just a, a really dark and twisted wish. This week, we've got Movember Ambassador Mark Kelly on the podcast. He's a Sydney Sparky who's also one of the millions of Australians who suffered from diagnosed depression. It all went downhill for Mark after a bad breakup in his early 20s that caused him to isolate himself and withdraw from the things and people he loved. I, I had no defences in place to deal with, with heartbreak at that level. He used drinking as a coping mechanism, and when that quickly got out of control, it only made matters worse. I really did actually just forget how to be happy. Luckily, Mark got professional help and learned the tools he needed to get his mental health back on track, knowledge he relied on later in life when his marriage fell apart. Mark's a big advocate for leaning on your friends and opening up conversations when you're struggling, and he's got some words of wisdom for all of those trying to drag themselves back from heartbreak. Welcome to Young Blood, a podcast all about young men's health. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our mission to talk about the stuff that matters and isn't talked about enough. Before we get into it, I'm going to take 15 seconds to let you know we are looking to find sponsors who are keen for the opportunity to be part of the show and welcome any ideas from those who are interested on how we might be able to work together. So please hit us up via email, youngbloodpodcast at hotmail.com. Tell me about your first real relationship. Uh, so my first real relationship came about when I was 17 years old. Uh, just a pretty standard high school romance. You know, you meet chatting on MSN oh, Messenger. MSN days. That's it, you know. Most people will still remember their uh, their email. Yeah. Their uh, embarrassing email. Did you have an embarrassing e- email back then? Yeah, I was a big Pharrell Williams fan. So bathing underscore ape six. That was his clothing brand back then. <laughs> So yeah, that's sick. That's yeah, sick. Um, I, yeah, and you'd, and you'd wait for them to come online, and then they'd come online, and you'd be like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, I think you're you're a little bit older than me, but I was in. I remember I was in primary school, and you know how um, intense the primary school dating scene was, and it was all about MSN. Yeah, it's insane. And like you'd come on and go, "Oh hey, did you just come online?" She goes, "Yeah, no, that's crazy. Me too." But in fact, I hadn't been. I had been just hanging <laughs> yeah, around, I'd been waiting all day for that moment. Yeah, so. <laughs> That's how we met and um, just a pretty standard high school relationship. I grew up on the coast of New South Wales, so beach days, going to the movies, going to dates at Subway. I only worked at Woolworths, so I had to squeeze a penny. And, yeah, it was, you know, looking back, it was a really good, great relationship. You know, I learned how to love at a young age. I learned how to work as a pair and put others before myself. And then when that went for about four or five years, and then when I was 21, um, obviously after high school ends for both for both of us, life and goals and study and careers started taking us in separate directions. And then finally, it got to a point where, you know, it couldn't couldn't persist or it couldn't go on. And she made a decision to end the relationship. And so up until that point, I'd have I'd had just a wonderful life. I was raised by a loving a loving family. I've got two great sisters. I've got a great relationship with my parents. I hadn't even, never lost a loved one, never even lost a pet before, except for goldfish, but they never count. <laughs> and so when it did end, basically my life just came to a screaming halt. What did you build that relationship up to be in those five years? Because that's like a very significant portion of your uh, of your life, obviously. Yeah. And to, to me at that time, like she was the one. You know, there's no question about it. You you have people tell you you're only young and stuff, and you're like, no, this one's different, you know. And it turns out it wasn't. It was like a lot of the other ones. Yeah. But yeah, it just 
I, I had no defenses in place to deal with, with heartbreak of that level or loss. So I started basically acting out in very unhealthy ways. I'm a pretty outgoing, um, active, social person. I began just shutting myself off from everyone I knew. Um, the only time you would see me out socializing with friends is when I was just out getting absolutely plastered off my face on the weekends. And then and admittedly, even sometimes on the weekdays, you know, which results in, you know, absenteeism from work. And that carried on. Yeah. Before. What were you doing at that time? Were you training to be as sparky then or? Yeah. Yeah. I was an apprentice electrician at that time. So I was in, I think I was in my second year. So yeah, you know, being an apprentice, not showing up to work, it's obviously not a good look. And I was able to put on a bit of a mask to people, like just saying those same dangerous phrases you hear from people who are struggling. I'm fine. It's all good. I'll tough it out. Yep. So after a while, you know, those that mask just started being becoming harder and harder to wear. And I eventually it got to a point where everyone could kind of see the writing on the wall. This guy is not okay. And we a lot of people didn't really know how to address it. And I remember it pretty vividly. It was Melbourne Cup Day 2010. I'd come back from a, you know, a day on the session as most of Australia was. And I went back to my room um, to do my usual weekday routine of just closing the door, playing video games, you know, not talking to anyone, emerging for, you know, my plan was to emerge for dinner, not talk to anyone, and then go back to my room. But my mum ended up coming into the room and caught me crying as I was a lot at that time. And she had no choice but to put the hard word on and just say, I don't know, I don't know what's, well, she knew what was going on, but basically her words were, you are not okay. And I don't, I'm not equipped to help you in the way that I think you need help. But all I know is that I want my son back and I need you to go see a doctor because you need help. How did you view yourself at that time? This was about the point where even myself started to know, like, I really don't know a way out here. I just felt like for the last few months, I just felt like I'm just keep digging myself into a hole and there's no real way out. I guess this is just the way I feel forever now. And it was it was funny because I, I really did actually just forget how to be happy. It didn't make sense to me. And I ended up getting jealous of other people being happy because- it didn't make sense to me. How can I feel this way when, you know, how can you feel like that when I feel like this? You know, the world's not fair. And that's a very closed-minded view of the world, obviously. So when mum started saying, you know, she doesn't recognize her son anymore, that kind of opened up a bit of a Pandora's box of emotions for me, um, basically agreeing with her, saying, I, yeah, I really don't understand how I can stop feeling like this. I'm just... I'm sad all the time. And yeah, so she suggested to see the doctor and my answer was a bit weird because basically my response was like, I'm not sick. I'm, I don't need to see a doctor. Yeah, because you probably, at that time, you might not have thought that doctors actually help with mental health as well as everything else. Yeah, that's exactly it. I just thought I'd go to see them, you know, to go to the flu or if I was at that stage a bit hungover, I need to get a doctor's certificate for a sick day. <laughs> so I was still a bit sheepish about the whole process because, you know, I'd only really just opened up to one person and that being my mum who's known me my whole life. So it was a, a bit of a safe space. 
But it was pretty brave on her behalf to say as well, they're like, I, I can't help you. You need someone, you know, professional to come help you because parents, they're built to have this, you know, aura of I have all the answers for those that I love and protect. But, you know, the reality of that is they don't. So that was a pretty bold move on on my mum's behalf. So I went to the doctor. How long had you been feeling like that um, before you went and got help? That was about that was about seven, eight months into it. So it was a long slog of, you know, darkness. So um, yeah, I went to the doctor and it was a it was a bit of a weird experience at first, trying to, you know, basically can talking to a complete stranger about, you know, I'm here because you know, I don't really feel myself. And the good news about doctors is, that, you know, they are actually trained to deal with these situations. So he was very uh, open and very welcoming to my emotions. And, you know, he asked what set it off and I did say it was a breakup. And he said something that really rang, like, like that really sat with me that losing a loved one is you're suffering from a loss. So, Obviously, it's not a, a, as tragic as a death or anything, but there, here is someone in your life that you know played a huge part of your life. That person is no longer in your life, and you need to find a way to deal with that emotionally. So when he when he brought that up, it kind of it was a big weight off my shoulders that the the way I had been feeling for a long time, probably too long, but it was justified to to feel that. So I got put on a mental health plan. Started seeing a psychologist who further helped me to, you know, process those feelings of loss and, you know, giving me tricks and ideas and tips and exercises on how to, you know, move on basically. And after a few months, it started to work. I started playing sport again, which I hadn't done all year. I started, you know, going out in the sun, started making plans to see my friends outside of a, a bar and you know, after after yeah, a long time, I finally felt myself again and everyone else noticed that as well. They were very open about that they were worried about me. They just didn't know how to address it and I started being more open with them about how I was feeling. I felt a wave of just relief over me that I was able to get back to normal. And when you were in the midst of that um, depression and you isolated yourself and, and withdrew, what do you think was driving that? Like what was your um, inner dialogue in in your mind? What were you telling yourself um, at that time? I guess it was a bit of a two-tiered approach of part of me was saying, you know, you deserve to feel like this way. You, you know, the one person that you trusted and loved doesn't love you anymore and it's obviously because, you know, you're a piece of shit and I want to level up you again. But the other part was blaming the rest of the world. Like, why me? Why did I have to be, why do I have to suffer like this? So it was kind of waves of blaming everyone else and blaming myself. So just kind of coming in from all angles. So did you very much feel like a victim at that time? I did feel like a victim. Yeah. Um, all in all, I was, it's, it just fell apart. In hindsight, it just fell apart because that's the way life goes, especially in young relationships. But at that age, I didn't really understand what it was that caused the break. So I did feel a little victimized, which 
isn't a fair assumption now. Yeah, so you you thought it was just down to you and and not sort of circumstantial stuff. And I suppose um, it sounds like you associated your own identity with her and with that relationship as well at that time. So perhaps um, when you separated, you didn't know who you were because in those five years you'd built yourself up to be this guy in this relationship. So did you just feel lost afterwards as to your own identity? Yeah, it's uh, you feel like your safety net's been removed. You and when you've been in a relationship a long time, you do kind of build an identity of you know I'm in, I'm part of a duo, you know Batman and Robin kind of thing. So yeah, it was hard to. It was, there were times when you know I didn't know how to move on and like I have to make these decisions for myself now. You know when you're in a relationship, that person becomes your confidant your advisor, your psychologist, it becomes they become every part of your life. Yeah, it's a big it's a big support network that you take for granted, I suppose. Yeah. And what I what I realized after I got help is that even if you're not in a relationship, you have those avenues of help everywhere you look. You've got friends, you've got family. In my case I have my psychologist as well. I even had my workplace. I had a very good relationship with my manager at the time who after a while, I did, did open up to him that I was seeing a psychologist and I was getting help for depression and they were able to accommodate leave even for me if I was like, oh, I can only get in at this time. Okay, leave early, go do it. So, yeah, there is – the support was there. I just took me longer than I care to admit to realise. And with the drinking, was that – self-destructive like was that coming from a place of sort of trying to do damage to yourself or just trying to sort of black everything out yeah so used to love a beer with my friends but i never used to get carried away to the level i did after the breakup that that blackout sort of drunk where you go a little too crazy and i'm a pretty pretty jovial guy you know i crack a lot of jokes but then you know they even the jokes become darker or the laughter becomes a little bit more unsettling when you're trying to crack your jokes. It, like My friends were close enough to me to kind of realize, all right, he's laughing here, he's making a lot of jokes, but there's something off. So it was pretty cool that they could see that as well. Yeah, like it was all coming from a different place. Yeah, yeah, po- yeah place of darkness, not, not happiness. So the drinking was kind of a, a way for me to still – show face to my friends without having to really have any meaningful conversations. I can just kind of talk absolute rubbish and drink and hopefully forget about how bad I was feeling. But And it it worked while I was out, but then you go home alone and you're just stuck there not only with your thoughts that you're having every other day, but you've got a belly full of booze in you and you feel even worse. And then the rest of the time you were isolating yourself. So you were just taking yourself away from all those things that you used to love and enjoy. What what made you do that? Was it just, did you feel like you actually physically lost energy because of all this mental pressure from the breakup or what made you withdraw? Yeah, definitely. For me, when I went through depression, everything just became a task, even the things I loved. So I, I loved to run. I loved, I was playing footy at the time, like before. We broke up. All these activities that bring so much joy and, and fun and, and not only that, they keep you in shape. It just became 
I'm tired. I couldn't be bothered to do that. So I'm just going to not do them anymore. And yeah, it was finding that routine really helped with getting me back to a mentally healthy state. Did you find that um, it was a real domino effect? So the more you felt really under the weather and negative and didn't go out and, and take action, the more you sort of spiraled downwards and, and encouraged that sort of behavior? Yeah, yeah. The longer you put these things off, the higher a pedestal it sits on. So going for that run just becomes too hard. And then if you don't train your body, it, it does deteriorate. So, you know, even when I did make attempts to go back for a run or something, I obviously wasn't as fit as I used to be. So that first, you know, 100 meters just becomes the hardest run you've ever done in your life to the point where you're like, okay, well, I've tried it. I'll check back in again tomorrow. And, you know, you cap it early, exhausted and feeling even worse now because you've reminded yourself of how far you've or how, how lost you are. You've, you've instilled a fear in yourself that, you know, I'm never going to get back to where I was. So why bother? That uh, was that Homer Simpson quote. It's like that's the lesson: never try. <laughs> yes, it's not a good lesson to take from the Simpsons on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. So, did you feel like you were really going against yourself at that time? Like it was you versus you, and because there was, I guess, you must have been aware that there was no one particularly keeping you down or stopping you getting back on track or or making you feel so depressed. Did you feel like, did you blame yourself at the same time as you were going through this? I think during the time, it was hard to gauge where the blame went. In hindsight, obviously, yeah, a lot of the blame was purely on myself because I have a great network of friends. I have a family that loves me so much. Even even the, the ex-girlfriend, you know, had her concerns about me. So even though that that fell apart it's it's not like she's just burnt me off from the world she had genuine concerns as well so you know i wish i could go back in time and and realize that it was just me this is all in my head and it's up to my it's up to me to change my mindset it's not not up to anyone else but it's obviously led on a strange and wonderful journey to um helping other people so i'm i'm glad it happened now for sure and you know, I think it's it's interesting and important to note that, you know, someone like yourself who had that support network, you know, had all these things in their in your life that were people would see as being, you know, really fantastic, but it still didn't matter. You know, depression didn't discriminate. You still felt the way you felt and had to face that. And the fact that you had all that stuff around you that could have helped you and did help you didn't didn't mean that you didn't get depressed and didn't really struggle. So it just shows that anyone can end up dealing with depression. You don't have to have the worst life around you to be, you know, granted the right to get depressed. It can happen to anyone. Yeah, and some people kind of say, oh, you don't realize how lucky you are. Look at other people in the world, and this is to everyone. You're not that other person. You're you, and this is something that's changed in your life that has caused you to feel down, and that's completely fine. People, people go through every, things every day. It's, it's very important to, to feel – it is so fine to feel sad sometimes. And what kind of depression did you have um, because there are different kinds of depressions? Uh, yeah, I got diagnosed with major depression, which is um, ones that do come with, with 
feelings of loss, as the doctor said. So I was put on antidepressants for a time. For me, it felt like it was a bit of a Band-Aid fix of just something to kind of tide me over and they did help a great deal. And then after a while when I started kind of feeling a little bit back to normal, I felt that I didn't need the didn't have the need for them anymore, so I started weaning myself off. So I haven't um haven't been on antidepressants since then, but that doesn't mean that other people some people see it as a as a cheat or something. Um that's not the case. If it works for you, you know, that's fine. And being depressed and actually having major depression in your case or diagnosed depression, it's not just feeling sad. Um, can you just explain for people the extent of it and how debilitating it was for you? It's, it's, the way I described it is I just started seeing everything in black and white. Nothing really amused me anymore. Nothing brought joy. I had, a, you know, like I said, so many good things around me and none of them just even incited a reaction. I just kind of felt numb all the time and there was no, no reason for me to basically face the world because I had no interest in it. I never, myself personally, I never got to a suicidal state, but there were definitely thoughts of, you know, I wish, I wish something would happen to me that would cause my life to end. But I never had the, I never had the thought to do that myself. It was more of a just a, a really dark and twisted wish because even then I knew that if I was to do something like that myself, it's not fair. It wouldn't be fair on my family for them to suffer after. Yeah, far out. It is pretty dark though, man, isn't it, to think that way? Yeah, definitely. And what do you think now that you think back to that time and where you were that dark and now um, presumably you're in a much better place? When you reflect on that, how does it make you feel? You feel almost guilty that, you know, you put so many people through that. So I got to a point back then where, you know, it didn't only my mental my mental state didn't only affect me, it affected everyone around me. My whole family was just so concerned all the time and they were having discussions about, you know, how do we help this guy? And, you know, I feel down because he's down. So there is a bit of regret with it. But I think where I'm thankful is that it did happen at a relatively young age. So I was able to learn how to how to deal with depression at a young age. So it's built up some resilience in me. I don't think while there is guilt, I don't regret that I went through it because it's obviously made me a more resilient person. Mm. And uh, when you went to the doctor and then he passed you on to a psychologist, did you talk through some of the things that you did to retrain your mind, like with the conditioning to start having positive thoughts instead of negative? Yeah, one thing that he, he did encourage me to do is to keep a journal. And so I started doing that. And one thing he did say was just at the end of the day, like at the end of your journal, just write one thing that went right. Because when I, I was in that state where nothing went right, even a good day was a bad day. So he just started saying just one thing that went right. Like I got a pretty good run of green lights on the way home. No matter how little it is, just train your brain to just start seeing the good in things. So I started doing that and that actually really helped. And I still journal to this day and I can't recommend it enough to anyone. Because it's something just purely for you. You can write anything you want in there. And another thing was, yeah, basically just him reminding me, like, what do you like about running? What do you like about the beach? And 
remembering that oh yeah, these things are actually very enjoyable. I don't know why I'm not doing them right now. It's probably what I need more than ever. How difficult was that to start with? Did you really, when you were forced to try and write down positive things, did it really show you just how far you'd gone on the spectrum of, of being negative? Like, did you really struggle to think of anything good? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, the first ones were very minuscule things. Like, for the first one I wrote was I had a good run of green lights on the way home. So, if that was like the best part of my day, you know, that was, didn't feel like a good day. But then, Things started picking up after a while. You start looking for the positives in almost everything. So, you know, a job went right or it was I actually went for a run. So even when I first got back into running, I I only lasted a, about a kilometre, like a first proper run. And But it was a kilometre more than I've run in a long time. So I was able to think of it that way as opposed to you are not as fit as you used to be, give up. Mm. And how did you feel after doing that first run? Felt great. Yeah. Um, one of my friends told me it was a pretty cool phrase. He goes, You only regret the workouts you don't do. And I've kind of been living by that since. Yeah, for sure. And how much did that doing that first run and getting those endorphins again and then having that positive self talk just make you so much more likely to go and do your next workout? How big a role does physical exercise play for you in, in your mental health? Oh, for me, it's a huge part. If I if I don't move my body at least once every you know day or two days, I start getting a little on edge because I have a lot of pent up energy that I don't feel like I haven't got a way to release that. And for me, exercise is a way of just releasing some stress from the day and also just making making me feel good. And how long did it take to shift your mindset from mostly negative to mostly positive? Like, did those journal entries you were writing where you were thinking of anything positive that you could, did they start to get longer and longer? What was the period of like months um, that it took to get to a point where you started seeing the good in things? So I reckon the journey from that conversation with my mum to I feel like I'm a positive and active member of the community, someone who has a lot to offer, you know, their friends and and their family, it would have been about would have been about eleven months, and because that's I remember it because it, it was when Movember started kind of popping back up on the um on the socials, advertising their campaigns about mental health, and it was about that ten month part when I started kind of seeing the value in talking to people about how I was feeling, but also realizing that a lot of these conversations were motivating people to actually open up themselves and talk about things that they've been struggling with yeah and just really understanding the value of a conversation so yeah 10 months it was a long one yeah it seems simple doesn't it like just talking about stuff like this and 10 months is a pretty long time did you get involved with movember at that point yeah so 2011 was the first year i got involved just grew a mustache didn't really do much with it just you know, posted the link maybe twice in the month, raised maybe a hundred dollars from mum and dad, and uh, the next year pretty much the same. And then the following year, I joined a team, a group group of boys from Shell Harbour called the Chamberlain Movember Challenge, and I didn't really even know them. I just saw there was a team. It just seemed like a bit of fun, so I, I hit them up on Facebook Messenger. This time, the world had evolved. 
<laughs> and he said, yeah, sure, join our team. And first year with that team, I raised about $3,000. So I was pretty stoked on that and kind of realized, oh, wow, this is actually just a really fun and simple way to just advertise mental health and physical health and all the other great things that Movember does in the areas of prostate and testicular cancer. So I got a little bit addicted to fundraising. I got a little bit excited to find new ways to raise money and and make people smile during this month. And yeah, the latest figures show that I'm sitting on about $98,000 since of, since 2011 that I've raised. Wow. That's incredible, man. Well done. Thanks, man. Very proud of myself. Did you feel sort of a sense of obligation um, to try and help other people going through similar stuff to you just because, you know, you got to such a desperate point and you had people to help you? Yeah. So I'm so grateful that I've had the support that I had. Even when I didn't realize I had it, when I was in those dark places, I had it. And I have it after and I have it to, that, to today as well. And I I don't want anyone to feel the way I did. And I'll do anything to stop that with my friends because one conversation can seriously change the trajectory of a person's life. So for me, I'm always checking in with my friends. Some of them, I'd probably annoy them with it, but I'd rather I'd rather just let them know I'm there than miss something. Yeah, fantastic. And that's definitely the message that we're trying to spread with this podcast as well. What was the uh, quality of the mo like? Oh, man. it's So I have a healthy beard, but <laughs> every time I shave my mo off, I realize this thing, this thing actually does take a while to grow in. So we're on day 14 now. I do look like a bit of a 14-year-old boy. It's kind of getting to that stage. I've got a I've got a healthy bum chin as well, so that's exposed all the time. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh it's it's definitely a conversation starter. Do you rock the mo for the the rest of the year, or is it really a November special? I bring it out sporadically through the year because I, I got made a community ambassador during last year. So every now and then I have to go to an event and I get to shave down the mo for it and expose the chin. But yeah, it's it's more of a, a special event. I'm I'm current I'm currently single now as well, so I don't really have anyone to tell me I can't have the mo. I actually <laughs> prefer it; it's my favorite one, but not anyone else's. Uh, I hope that's not why you're single. I, yeah, I hope not as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, just on that, obviously, um, the story that you told as a a younger man that wasn't the end for you in terms of hardship, because um, you know, obviously, living life we we come across challenges all the time. Uh, so tell me about your marriage uh, and the subsequent breakdown. Yeah, so yeah, life hasn't been roses for me since I got help and got better. Um, I was married up until the end of last year and due to uh, kind of similar circumstances but some other complicated ones that I shouldn't get into in a public space. But yeah, it did break down and I did find myself pretty quickly going to those dark places again. The big difference this time around was that I've been around the block. I know what's coming. I know that I'm going to be feeling sad and down for a while, but I also know that I do not want to feel this way forever and I've gotten out of this before and I'll get there again and it's taken time and it's taken a lot of big changes, but I am in a healthy state now, nearly a year on, and a lot of that is due to just doing the things that I should have done a lot, you know, a lot sooner the first time around. Go see my therapist, talk to my friends, let them know how I'm feeling, 
stay active, do all the things that made you happy when you were happy because when you're sad, those are the only things that are going to get you back to a happy state. And knowing logically what you need to do to get yourself out of that situation and make yourself all right is a massive help. But obviously, you know, um, those kinds of situations, they're not really about logic. They're largely about emotion as well. So even knowing those things, it must have been such a challenge to actually apply it and, and taking time to be able to get yourself to a point where you could, you know, get yourself to the psychologist or you know, have the discipline and self-control not to launch into the bottle. Yeah, it's it's obviously a tough journey and there's there's definitely days that you just have to you just let depression win. There were times when I was at work and I'd just have to walk away into a room and just, you know, have a cry. Uh there were days where I wouldn't really leave my my room. The big difference this time around was yeah, just talking to friends pretty much straight off the bat. That was very important to me because if they know I'm struggling, at least I know if I, if I am going down into those into those deep dark spots again that I have been in before. I've I've got friends who are open and honest enough to kind of let me know that they feel that as well. There's no way around it. Going through a marriage breakup fucking sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's. Yeah, there's been um there's been some very dark days and there's been days where I've hit the bottle as well too hard. But I guess the main thing is this time around you wake up, you feel like crap. At least you know this time this one this one is on you. I know that what I'm feeling right now is purely in my head. I'm in control of this. Mm. You know, find find what's working for you and stick with that. And I guess that's, you know, it's very important to take responsibility and, and know that you're the only one who can get yourself out of that headspace. But then also differently this time, you couldn't allow yourself to have that negative self-talk. So you had to take responsibility, but you also had to, you know, motivate yourself and encourage yourself and, and talk positively. And I suppose that I would guess that that must have been a difference from the first time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, having the journal straight off the bat was very helpful. Um, like I said, it's just... It's a book of you. You can write whatever you want. And those those early days were obviously some very dark things, but I still still keep that that process of just something went right that day. So it's pretty funny the um the day that that my marriage broke up, I did respond with a bit of a joke. It was I said this couldn't have come at a worse time, and she responded with yeah, so I know you know Christmas is coming up in November and things like that. I went, no, no, I just bought a new barbecue and I invited some friends over. <laughs> so both of us had a good laugh about that. So that was the thing that went right that day. Even though my marriage broke down, I got a, a cracker one-liner in there. Um, what could your friends do that you found really helped you uh, when you were in that spot? Just for me, it was just shoulder-to-shoulder activities, just going to shoot some hoops, going to the beach, you know, there were there were days where it was like let's go for a beer, which was nice, and then there was some days where it's good, let's go have forty beers, which you know, which was a good idea at the time. Yeah, now not so much. <laughs> yeah, just just being just being present because when you again when you're part of that partnership and that goes that goes to the wayside, you do you do you feel lonely, and so just having someone there to talk to just makes all the difference for me. I still feel lonely sometimes, but I know that I've got, you know, about 25 
very good friends that I could text at any time and say, you're up for a chat and they would answer the phone. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure you'd be them there for them as well. Oh yes. Yeah. And I have been and I'm very proud of that. Yeah, that's it. Well I guess, yeah, if you're if you're there for someone and they're there for you, um, and you can support each other, that's just you know that you've got that there. Or if you've got even a few people in your life, doesn't matter who they are, whether they're like a parent or a friend or uh, you know, a partner or, or anyone that you know, you know, you can call in the middle of the night or someone you can go to and someone that you provide the same support to then that's really makes such a difference and can be all you need. But it, it does seem to come down a lot to feeling like you can share share the burden and not keep it to yourself because when you keep it to yourself, that's when it just really like builds up and, and seems to get heavier. Yeah, definitely. And what, I, what I've found very helpful as well because especially in those early days, just talking about it over and over, it does, you, you know, it keeps replaying in your head how sad you are. So it was really cool that I had a lot of friends as well where if I, I just wanted to do something to, to tune out, like can we just go can we go shoot some hoops and just talk absolute rubbish or go to a movie, just talk to, you know, do things that distract me from feeling this way as well, not just not just to dwell on them. Yeah, because your friends, they don't um, have to be your psychologist. Yeah. And, and friends shouldn't feel, feel the pressure to either. Yeah, and especially in the ways of relationship breakups, the breakup happens. There's some, you know, there's some sadness for a while, but then after a while, you do kind of have this realization: like I'm just a skipping record right now. We, they all know what I'm sad about. So, but, you know, then it becomes you feel like some guilt there as well. Like, all right, let's let's not bring them down. Let's let's have some fun. Let's in, let's make sure that I'm there to make them feel enjoyment, not just for them to make me feel better. It's a two way street. Yeah. And did you know this time around that? You know, no matter how terrible that felt in the moment for those weeks and months, that it would end at some point, that there was light at the end of the tunnel and it would get better. Did you sort of fundamentally understand that that time? Uh, oh, after a little while, there was definitely that 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 very dark period. But yeah, I really I did go to that dark place again, but it definitely wasn't as long. So the light at the end of the tunnel, although I knew it was going to be a slog. I had some motivation at least to to get there this time. So I hit the ground running pretty shortly after. Like I'd booked in with my psychologist pretty much a week after the it broke down and started making active steps. There was some big changes that happened later in the year. I moved from the coast to Sydney to kind of get away from everything and it was closer to work. It worked out for me better anyway. So big changes. You know, a lot of fear. Everything is working out pretty good so far. So I'm glad it's gone the way it has. Yeah, it's great to hear, man. How much do you think, you know, making yourself feel better and getting to a better place is about taking action, you know, taking positive action rather than not taking action, I guess? Oh, 100% of it. Yeah. So everyone's got something that's happened to them, whether it's their fault or not. Whatever's happened to you. It's up to you to to deal with it. It's not up to anyone else. So taking that action as quick as you can is, is probably one of the most important things to, you know, dish out advice-wise to anyone who is feeling down. Yeah, you might not be able to see the whole uh, way that you have to go ahead. You might just sort of put one foot in front of the other. But did it feel like taking one step, you know, taking one positive action 
that gave you enough to get to the next step and then before you knew it you were sort of back at the top of the mountain yeah that was it the one thing that I did very differently this time around was in the way of fitness I did not stop exercising I made sure that that was the one thing that I didn't um let up on the one thing I did let go for a while so I love to do yoga and two days after it went down I was like all right let's go to yoga let's go have a stretch this this never makes you feel bad this is always a good time but because that was always a bit of an us activity I found myself crying during the entire class yeah right probably a bit distracting yeah Yeah, just I don't know what it was I guess it's a very zen environment you you are encouraged to you know look inward a little bit during those classes and obviously looking inward led to a bit of sadness maybe not that much though yeah so I did put yoga to the to the back you know to the back of the drawer for a couple of months but you know the running and the sport that never led up so I was able to at least maintain my physical health which obviously ties in very strongly with mental health so that was a, a big key factor in getting better and so where's that sort of left you now with your thinking about um, relationships and and your mental health and sort of what you need going forward like what have you learned again this time yeah yeah second time around i guess with the marriage breaking down some people are a bit cynical towards relationships and love and that that was probably some some thoughts i had early on but i'm not afraid of you know meeting someone else and you know going through it all again who knows um life's a journey you just gotta go kind of swim with the currents and see where it takes you yeah, that's a that's sort of the only way to be open yourself up for the be- the best of joy and the worst pain, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I'm excited about what the future holds. Sounds a little wanky, but it is something that I just genuinely believe now. Every every day is a gift, so who knows what tomorrow brings? That's just like such a turnaround, I suppose, in the way that you view yourself and view the world that you can see it that way even after one of the worst things that can happen to a person that in a fairly short space of time you still have that attitude it seems like the kind of attitude that you'll carry with you for the rest of your life and the more you go through these kinds of challenges that are really hard to get past but you do get past them and you do have the evidence that you can get through this sort of stuff you know sort of the the more resilient and the stronger you get yeah definitely and one thing that i've kind of kind of a thought process i've adopted this year that i've kind of always been living a bit like it just feels so good to give back to a world that has given me so much to smile about despite some heartbreaks here and there you know if if there's anything i can encourage to anyone who is feeling down find a way to give back for me it's through november but also through other charities i just like helping people and i like making people smile but there's so many ways that you can help your community in whether it be small ways or big ways that's another uh, big piece of, you know, me feeling better about probably about myself more than anyone. Yeah, for sure. So if you're you know, if you're feeling so down and putting all that um, focus on yourself, take that focus off yourself and help someone else. Take your mind off it, and then also maybe give you some perspective. Yeah, everyone's everyone's got their own path, and if you can help people down their path, it could help you yourself as well. And I've uh, seen that you've raised eighty grand by doing rap songs yeah <laughs> how does that how does that work oh man so yeah me and my friends I'm, I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by so many talented people musicians videographers graphic artists so november is just a bit bonkers for the chamberlain november challenge uh so yeah a couple of years back we just 
toyed with the idea is like, why don't we just try and do a music video? So we started doing a couple of rap songs and the first couple were awful. And then when people started donating a bit more money, we were like, maybe we should try and put some effort into these things. So um, in 2017, we started a, you know, we did a rap song down in Jerringong. It was great fun, got a lot of friends involved, hanging down by the skate park. Last year, we, we switched it up. We went punk rock. And that video is ridiculous because we're it's just me with a bunch of backup dancers from my yoga studio that I convinced <laughs> to get in, in Lycra with me and do some choreography. And this year, even even stranger, we've uh, we've gone full country. So yeah, we recorded a country song and it's very well recorded, despite my country twang. The the like the chorus is like two spoons of concrete, just that southern <laughs> accent. Yeah, that's awesome. I bet you never thought you'd have backup dancers, but it's good to be able to like bring some joy by doing something yeah. silly and making a fool of yourself like that. Oh yeah, if if you can't laugh at yourself, who can you laugh at? And I pretty much make a joke of myself every day in sometimes healthy ways, sometimes unhealthy ways, but it makes me laugh and laughing is the best medicine. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, it sounds like you've got such an awesome attitude these days and you know, it hasn't been easy to get there, obviously, with all that you've gone through, but hopefully people listening to this who are in a similar spot can can take away how you manage to get yourself out of it and hopefully apply some of that stuff to their own thinking there's no shame in feeling down and certainly not in in talking about it and and in fact talking about it and and going and seeking help can be what really helps you in the end yeah and that's it and you know through november although i have raised a lot of money at the end of the day it's those conversations that i've had with people that have said something that i've said or done has you know, had a positive impact on their life. That's that's the real victory for me. So if there's anyone that's listened to this and found that they got something from it, get in touch with me because, yeah, I'd love to hear that stuff. It would absolutely make my day. And how can people find you, Mark, if they wanted to get in touch? You can find me on Instagram, uh, Jurassic underscore 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 Mark. <laughs> um, so you can hit me up on there. That's that's where a bunch of my music videos and a bunch of other dumb photos are. And through our Movember team, the Chamberlain Movember Challenge on Facebook and Instagram, that's kind of got all the um, all the updates of what us and our friends are up to. Well, thanks so much, man, for for telling your story and, and giving us your time. And I'm sure it's one that'll resonate with so many people. But it's just, you know, so good to hear from someone who's who's been through that, who can up, open up about it like that and give some really practical advice and just be really honest about it all. Um, and, you know, we're definitely aligned with the the same mission about trying to get guys to talk about this stuff and, and listen and know that they're not alone in dealing with these sorts of issues. So just, yeah, thanks so much for, for being a part of it and, and, and joining us. Oh, thanks for, thanks for having me. And also thanks for all the good work that you guys are doing on a weekly basis. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Yeah, doing what we can. I, hopefully, you know, with um, podcasts like this and conversations and then all of the big groups like Movember, you know, together we can we can start to make a difference and I hope that that's happening. It, it seems like, seems to me like more people are, are talking slowly and, um, you know, it, it just takes time and, and uh, positive action and we'll get there. I hope you got something useful out of this episode. If you like what we're doing, please leave a rate and review on iTunes and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us grow the show so we can keep bringing you the content that matters. Also, follow Young Blood Podcast on Instagram and like us on Facebook. We do have video versions of some episodes online, so check those out too. 
This podcast is produced by the talented Rory Noak at Podbooth. You can check them out at podbooth.com.au. This is Youngblood. Thanks for joining us. Catch you next time.